Um, so Pico Iyer, he wrote uh, an article called Secular Sabbath. And uh, he says this, that there is an urgent need to slow down, to rest, to find Sabbath in our lives. So someone who's not religious, not following the Christian tradition, not following the ways of Jesus, also agrees that there too is a need, a, uh, a longing in the human frame in light of everything that we're feeling to enter into this place called Sabbath. In his article, he, he talks about these different companies that are pivoting, um, and like Silicon Valley is now creating an internet Sabbath where uh, a lot of the leadership are, are now taking uh, a part of the weekend away from the internet because of the way it's affecting and weighing upon our souls. He went on and he talked about how the Torah, again, the first five books of the Bible, uh, speaks to Sabbath and he says this, keeping the Sabbath, doing nothing for a while, which is, I think, his definition, which is far short from what we are invited into, is one of the hardest things in life for me. Yes, we can agree to that. I'd, I'd much rather give up meat or wine or sex than the ability to check my emails or get on with my work when I want to. If I don't answer my messages today, I tell myself there will only be more to answer tomorrow, though in truth, refraining from sending messages will likely diminish the number I receive. If I take time off, I somehow believe I'll be that much more hurried the rest of the time. Whenever I finally force myself away from my desk for a day, of course, I find the opposite. The more time I spend away from my work, the better that work will be often, more, most often. And so he's, he's tapping into some things that are about this common grace called Sabbath. He's, he's tapping into this idea that, that his work rhythms actually are better when you take time off. He's recognizing there's actually some things that are happening there. So this secular Sabbath is interesting. You know, the essence of secularism, the goal of secularism, is not to make you not believe. The goal of secularism is to privatize your faith, your faith, to make your faith personal and not allow it to go beyond you. The goal of secularism is to keep your faith within your life. John Tyson, who's a pastor in New York, he says, secularism is doing a reverse exorcism. Wherever God is found in culture, it is saying, come out in humanity's name. So there's this idea that secularism is trying to remove God from every aspect of your life. Trying to remove it, trying to put self at the center, and trying to take God away. See, every society, because we are incurably religious, we incurably are designed to desire God, takes anything and puts it at the center of our lives but God. And here we're talking about a godless Sabbath where self is at the center. But the reality is that Jesus invites us into something so much better, something so much more complete that is in, in, in line with our very design. See, secular Sabbath keeps aspects of the Sabbath, but it tries to silence God. And Jesus invites us into something more complete, more beautiful. So last week we introduced Sabbath as a practice, as a tool, as a gift that brings rest to our souls. Where Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart. And the following sections are about Jesus speaking of the Sabbath and healing on the Sabbath. And we talked about last week how the Sabbath is an opportunity, if it's in line with the way that Jesus designed it, to restore not just our ability to work, but to restore our soul. The invitation of the Sabbath of Jesus is much more deep than just having a better um, ex uh, ability to accomplish work, as Pico said. It is much more deep and substantial. 
Remember John Mark Comer, we mentioned this last week, says that the Sabbath comes to my door like a doctor. Or should I say the Lord of the Sabbath comes like a doctor to patch me up. So we want to continue talking about this theme of Sabbath as a healer. Sabbath is a tool that Jesus has given to us. If you guys are wanting to take a deeper dive into Sabbath-related things, we do have a URL, uh, sojournaline.org slash Sabbath, and you can see uh, some further resources that you can look at there. So uh, the Sabbath Jesus invites us into has four key values. And I want to set the stage for you of what Jesus is inviting us into. So I want to begin by going back to the beginning where we first meet the Sabbath. And so the first point I have is this, that in the beginning, God created, then God rested. So Sabbath is originally found on the first pages of Genesis. As early as the creation story, we learn this, that God worked, created, took chaos and put it into order for six days. And on the seventh day, he rested from his work. Read with me in Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says this, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested. On the seventh day, from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So we read here, there's three significant words I want to just highlight with you this morning. The first is that uh, God blessed this day. That God blessed this day. He made it happy. He blessed it. That God blessed three things in the creation story. He, He blessed animals and humans to be fruitful and multiply. And then the only other thing that God blessed was this day. A day where we find life and refreshment. It's more than just a day. It's a blessed day. The second thing that we read is that he made it holy. This is interesting. I don't know if you've caught this. That the first time the holy was used in the entire Bible was this moment. God called this day to be made holy. Set apart, different from the other six days. Six days you work. The seventh day you set apart and you consecrate and you make holy to the Lord. See, it's interesting because God made this day time. He made time holy. See, gods and goddesses were not found in space and not in time, not throughout the stories, the creation stories that we read. But uniquely, this story, God enters into our world. And He doesn't avoid work. He teaches us how to work. He doesn't remove himself from work and cause, as we'll talk about this in the upcoming weeks, and cause his creation to do work as if it was evil. No, he created on these days, and then on the seventh day, he made it holy. And then it says that God rested. And man, some of us need to hear that God rested. But I have kids that are crazy, Ernie. God rested. But I'm a doer, Ernie. God rested. But I have projects I got to get done. God rested. But I'm an executive and I have a lot of pressure. God rested. God rested. Say it with me. God rested. The former physician turned author, his name is Matthew Sleeth. He wrote a book called 24-6. And, and in it he says, rest shows us who God is. He has restraint. Restraint is refraining from doing everything that one has the power 
to do. So God chose to rest. He doesn't tire or grow weary. He's not like us. He's not limited like we are, but he chose to rest. God rested. It's the essence of Sabbath or Shabbat, which means to stop and to rest. So six days we work, and the seventh day we rest. I'll I'll be quoting this guy, uh, Rabbi Abraham Heschel, a few times. He has some good stuff around Sabbath. He says, six days a week we wrestle with the world, bringing profit from the earth, cultivate and keep, develop and pull forth fruit. And so the six days we work and we wring out the fullness that we can, but the seventh day is made holy. And there's this holy day, a blessed day, a day of rest, a day built in for rest and renewal. Again, not just a secular Sabbath that allows us to get a little more work done by not working as much, but it's a refreshment and a renewal for our soul. He goes on to say, the work on weekdays and the rest on the seventh day are correlated. The Sabbath is the inspirer. The other days are the inspired. He goes on to say the Sabbath is not an interlude, but the climax of living. In the beginning, God created, then God rested. Second point is this, that Jesus redefined Sabbath as a gift where we can find rest. It's a gift where we can find rest. In Mark chapter 2, parallel to the passage we read in Matthew 12 last week, but Mark fills in a little bit for us that Matthew doesn't speak to. Um, And he says this that's pretty unique and I think pretty imperative for us to understand um, about Sabbath. Mark 2, 23. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. Again, we talked about how these are the OG Cheetos last week. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did? When he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate of the bread of presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said this to him, to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It's profound, a profound statement. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So the Pharisees had landed on this, that the man, the man was made for Sabbath. They lived their life thinking that Sabbath was like some kind of God that ruled over them and they had to submit to this thing in entirety. It became a series of rules. It became a power move over their neighbors. It became a a means by which they could leverage for righteousness. And Jesus was like, no, that's that's not how it's supposed to be. He says the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. See, the Sabbath was made that we could use it as a tool, as a gift, as a way to steward in such a way that can bring rest for our souls. And we need to hear this, that Sabbath was made for man. Sabbath was made for us. See, there is a gift embedded into the cosmos of God's creation. And within it is Sabbath. It brings nourishment to our souls. It is not mandatory It's not sin if you don't do it. But I will say this. You will miss out on the fullness of life if you ignore it. You will miss out on the fullness of life if you ignore the Sabbath. It is a gift built into the framework of our design. Sabbath is the means by which Jesus does some of the best healing 
work. We talked about those seven examples that Jesus healed on the Sabbath, and he did so intentionally last week. We talked about that. Sabbath is not a rule to be kept, but it's a freedom to enter into that Jesus invites us into. So the design of Sabbath, as I mentioned last week, is, is sundown Friday night to sundown Saturday night in the Jewish tradition. And for us, it's more typically on, on Sunday. And so what we will say over and over and over again, though we're not focusing on how you fulfill Sabbath and how you follow through on Sabbath, what we are focused on is that you would, you would submit to the values of what Sabbath provide for us. And so some of you, it's a Sabbath afternoon. Some of you, it's a Sabbath hour. Some of you, it's a Sabbath walk. Some of you, it's a Sabbath evening or a Sabbath block. Our invitation is that you would take a step into moving towards Jesus in this way. And so those four values make up the third point, which are four, but it's the third point. I should have been more strategic and had the fourth point with four points, but whatever. So the third point, which is has four values, is there are four values that make up Sabbath. Stop. Rest, delight, and worship. These four values fuel us as we enter into Sabbath. And so for some of you, it's a Sabbath afternoon. You can't, you don't, you haven't done Sabbath ever. And so you're first hearing about Sabbath now. And so you're taking a step by moving it into a Sabbath afternoon. And so these help guide you. For others of you, you've done it a half day, but you feel like God's drawing you into more. These guide you. These are the values I want us to lean upon. And we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about them. These are four values or, or tenets that fuel Sabbath. The first, again, is to stop. Shabbat means stop. We get the word Sabbath from Shabbat, and that means to stop, cease. Stop wor- working, stop worrying, and stop wanting. It's a day where we try to turn it off. It's a day where we try to turn off this ever um, fueled hamster wheel on the inside of us that's always wanting more. And it's a day we choose to stop. It's a period of time where we choose to stop. Where we choose to stop work paid and unpaid. Where we stop worrying about tomorrow and what the future holds. And even in some ways we stop buying. It's a day where we choose to allow our wants to just exist on the coat rack for a period of time. And we can just enter into appreciating what we do have, not what we don't have. See, it's our tool. It's our tool that we use. So for Alex and I, we oftentimes go to dinner on our Sabbath evening. So it doesn't mean you can't buy stuff. Again, let's not move into Pharisee world. We, we actually are able to stop and rest by going out to eat. And so again, it's about, it's about this dance that you all have to live in. Um, but... Um, I'll hit this more in two weeks, but, but it's an embracing of our limitations. Like, stopping is an embracing of our limitations. Pete Scazzaro says this. He says, on Sabbath, I embrace my limits. God is God. He is indispensable. I am his creature. The world continues working fine when I stop. We choose to stop. Sabbath's not a night where we catch up on our series is and just watch TV until we go to sleep. But it's a time to do something different. It's a period of time. It doesn't mean you can't watch a movie. That's not my point. We watched Hook a couple days ago. We watched Beethoven a week before. So I'm not saying you can't watch something. That's not my point. Again, that's not the point. But the point is that you do something different. You enter into a place of stopping and being present together. It's through the act of stopping that we engage faith. Like it's so difficult to enter into a place of stopping But in stopping, what are we saying? We're saying that there is a God and I am not him. There is one who rules my life. 
and it is not me. When we stop, He doesn't stop. And He holds it together when we don't because we're never really holding it together. See, the world won't fall apart when we cease because there is one on the throne. And so by stopping, we're engaging our faith to remember that there's one holding it together even when we stop. See, one day, we will breathe our last and God will continue on just fine. And so we enter into that rest. We enter in that place. God, you're holding it all together. And so I enter into this posture of stopping. Rich Velotis summarizes it well. I mentioned this last week that Sabbath keeping at its core is a profession of faith. It's confessing, I am not what I do. And we're going to lean into that a good bit more in the upcoming weeks because one of the biggest hurdles for Sabbath is believing that we are what we do. On Sabbath, I am not what I do. On Sabbath, we confess that the world will not stop if I cease from my work. And then third, throughout the New Testament, we read that Christ is holding all things together. And it's a declaration. As we stop, I trust that you hold my life, my future, my finances all together. And you say, Ernie, what about kids? I can't stop when I have kids. True and false. You can't stop parenting. You can't. That's, if you had kids, maybe you didn't know that when you had the joys and the benefits of getting married, that when you had kids, you might have not thought of the implications of it. We never do. Because sometimes our frontal lobe isn't even fully developed. And so then you have kids, you realize you have forever more responsibilities. And those responsibilities are beautiful. But nonetheless, I would say that you can't stop parenting. But that's not the stopping I'm talking about here. You can stop from working. You can stop from worrying. And you can't stop from wanting. And you're like, well, I worry about my kids. and I, I'm a stay-at-home mom, so I, all I am doing is working with my kids. And I, I know it's complicated. But some of you, on this day, it reminds you that the control you think you have for your kids, the, the pressure you put on yourself to be this superhuman parent that you can't be, on Sabbath, you enter into this posture of saying, I really can't control the future of my kids' lives. And that might be the greatest gift you can give to yourself. A space where you let go. You remember Christ is on the throne for them, not just for me. I'm gonna, they're going to be going to counseling for something, for real. Even this last week, I've been processing that. Like, man, I'm trying really hard to be a good dad, but they're going to go to counseling probably because I'm trying really hard to be a good dad. It's something. It's something. But for us, we choose to stop. And we remember that God's hold, holding their lives like he's holding our lives. And talk about the freedom that comes to our soul when we enter this posture of stopping. For a sad amount of time, we stop from being a machine. We're more than just a machine. We're more than just a hamster on this wheel until we die. So parallel to stopping is resting. We stop so that we can rest. Remember the words of Jesus, I will give you rest. It's real and it's for you. Sabbath is a practice to help us get there. Living in a world of restlessness, man, we need a space to, to rest. See, when we think of rest, we can think of a spa day. When you think of a spa day, you don't think about your kids. And so again, it goes back to this very thing, this tension that we live within. There is a rest, though, that I'm inviting us into. The rest that comes physically that may be hard to achieve. And for us, we're just coming out of this. We have three boys. We have four, six, and 11. Um, and they're all, 
I was about to say they're about to get older, but that just makes sense. And so I don't need that's imp, that's implied, Ernie. Um, I have three boys, and and we're just coming out of this fog, this fog of like survival, where like it's just it was a little more difficult. We've been doing Sabbath since our middle son was a baby. And so we've been doing this for several years now. We've had to shift along the way, but a part of the rest that we're trying to lean into is this rest for our souls. And so during this time, even when our kids were even younger, we would leverage this time of rest around their nap time. And so this was a really practical time for us where we would, during their nap time or as they get older, if you give them some rest time, then that's a time where you can maybe take a nap, even if it's just for 20 minutes. And let's be honest, anything more than 20 minutes, you're just going to be groggy and be a mess for the rest of the day. So maybe a short, not entering into full REM, but just a short rest. And so a time where I, I, took a, I would take a nap, and that would be a time where I'd, I'd kind of have some alone time and I'd journal. Like that nap time was like all I had for years. And that was enough in that time just to kind of get through. And as we're having a little more margin, as our boys are able to do things on their own a little bit more, it's enabling us to have a little more space. And so if you're in the thick of that fog, you'll get out of it. Don't try to wish it's not there because you're going to look back and wish you had it. And so just enter in through it. Enjoy it along the way. Embrace the realities of it. Recognize you're just going to be tired for a while, and that's fine. But, but again, this is about rest for the soul. We want to stop. We want to rest. And again, for me, rest looks like putting aside, when I put aside my phone, when I put aside my computer, even but for a little bit of time, there's this unique rest that comes when you turn off the noise. There's a unique rest that comes off when you don't feel like you have to respond to a text. There's a unique rest that comes when you don't get the notification on your phone about an email. It's a rest from information overload. It's rest from being on call to the world. It's rest from being able to be contacted. It's rest from the hurry of the day. It's rest from connection to work. Dallas Willard gives us a vision for this rest when he says, when you've become convinced that the world is able to function without you, you will find true rest. You know, I never was good in English. I don't know where commas are supposed to go. If you get texts and you see commas in weird places, it's because I don't know where they're supposed to go. And I guess. I guess more often times than not. Um, and so if I ever wrote a book, and I probably won't, but if I ever did, I'd get a ghostwriter because, again, I don't know where commas go. But what I would say is this. Friends, we are not designed to be one long run-on sentence. We're not. We were designed to have periods. And periods meaning we were designed to have a space where we stop. We breathe before we move to the next sentence. We weren't designed to just ever go and never stop. So rest, rest. What if we were known as a people who rested well? What if the church was known as a people who stopped, who rested, and who had rest for their souls that could actually give that to a world of restlessness? I believe that. I believe that's something that God could invite us into to be a distinct people. So we stop, we rest. Third point is we delight. If you go back to Genesis 1, verse 31, it should pop up on the screen here. Genesis 1, 31, it says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So it says here, point back to the creation story, that God, after he finished, he said it was very good. And so we enter into the seventh day, and it's like this. Imagine, you know, it's springtime, and it was supposed to get really cold this next weekend, so that, that might be sad. But we're moving into this springtime, and some of you might have the bug of wanting to do yard work. 
Let's just say you next weekend, uh, you went after it. You mowed your yard for the first time. You, you planted some hydrangeas. You built a raised bed and you, you planted some tomatoes. You got crazy and you pressure washed your driveway. Like you did it all. Okay, you like went for it, and somehow the kids were fine. And so you, you went all the way through, you finished, you took a shower, you got your beverage of choice, you went outside, and you just looked at it, and you exhaled. What are you doing in that moment? You're, you're delighting, you're resting, you're enjoying the fact that you just went hard, and now you're entering into this place of rest and delight. That's what God did on the seventh day. He looked, he wasn't tired. The dude could have done it over, dude, what am I saying? <laughs> The Holy One could, sorry, um, God could have continued to make more and more ever-expanding galaxies and universes. He could have. But he chose to rest. He chose to delight. He chose to embrace what was created. And that's what we are invited into in this place of delight. See, in Sabbath, we are invited into the beauty of God's creation. By slowing down, we can see gifts we don't normally see. See, when you stop and rest and you put your phone aside, you see your kid's eyes in a way that you wouldn't otherwise. When you're on the floor and you're playing with your kids, you see a laugh that you wouldn't normally see if you're connected to your phone because you have to take take that text or that call or whatever. There's a place of delight and enjoyment that you enter into when you have a space where there's nothing calling for your attention but the people that are right before you. There's something about it that's beautiful when you see your spouse's laugh or when you enjoy a good meal. There's something about delight that's beautiful that we enter into that we don't normally have. And Sabbath is a gift that allows us to see the very good things that God has given to us. This is the value, man, that I struggle with. I'm, I, I'm okay at stopping. I'm okay at resting. I've learned to be okay with those things. But delighting is hard for me. It's something that God, I feel like, is challenging me with these days. But it's something that I, I want to lean into, to lean into delighting in friends or family or food or wine or intimacy or sleep or fresh air or laughter or games or being present. There's something beautiful about entering into that space. See, the reality is we are oftentimes too hurried to enjoy those gifts. So we stop and we rest to create room to delight, to savor. Wayne Mueller says, in the trance of overwork, we take everything for granted. We consume things, people, and information. We do not have time to savor this life, nor to care deeply and gently for ourselves, our loved ones, or our world. Rather, with increasingly dizzying haste, we use them all up, and throw them away. And this is a place where we enter in what Ecclesiastes says, enjoy your lot. Enjoying what your life is, not comparing it to the next person, but the life you have and enjoying that and the gift that that is. See, within delight, there's this space of feasting. In the Jewish tradition of Sabbath, typically you begin by lighting a candle, and then you enter into blessing one another, and then you enter into a meal together that was prepared beforehand. And you feast and you have the better food and the better wine and you enjoy each other. There's this essence of delight that we are invited into. It's that day where we truly can see, say, taste and see that the Lord is good. With the people before me, with the gifts before me, I taste and I see, Lord, you are good. So as a value, delight helps us to 
figure out what we, sh- what we should and, and what we're invited into and what we're not invited into. You can allow delight to be the question that you ask in your Sabbath block of period of time. What, uh, is this going to lead me to delight or not? And if not, i got six days for it. But on this day, I'm going to choose to delight. Lastly, we stop, we rest, we delight. Lastly, we, and we worship. We worship. Oh, we have the joy to worship our God. It is just so good for our souls to celebrate that there is one who rules and reigns over all. Secular Sabbath misses this joy. But in Exodus 31, 15, it says that the Sabbath was to be holy to the Lord. It is set apart for worship. So we make an effort to remember God, to worship God, to celebrate God, to recenter our hearts on God. You're only but six days away from recentering on who you are and who God is truly. We're invited into that. On our Sabbath it's like I said, it's changed over years as kids are getting older. But we do begin with a candle. We light a candle. And we do, we're, we're trying to grow and blessing one another. Something powerful about that. We'll read a, a psalm together. And then we'll enter into fun. And honestly, the first few hours are the most clunky. Because we're kind of coming out of work and kind of the stress of life. And so the first few hours can be really hard. So if, if you do just allow your glass ceiling to be a few hours, you might miss out on the joys of what Sabbath can be. So the first few hours are a little bit more clunky for us. And as we enter in more into the evening of Friday night for us and into Saturday morning are some of the sweetest times for us as we enjoy one another and play games and, and laugh. Well, uh, we got our middle son, the Action Bible. And so we're reading the Action Bible together and having space where we can stir our hearts for God. And then we'll end our time by praying and and reading another psalm. And so this is a space where we enter into this posture of worship, where we stop, where we rest, where we delight, and we worship. So as we explore this journey together, I have two pastoral thoughts for us. The first is, for some of you, need, some of you need one of these, and some of you need the other, okay? The first is to be flexible. Don't be a Pharisee. It's not the point. You'll steal the beauty of it if you become a Pharisee with it. Stuff comes up. Some people decide to get married in their rehearsal dinners on, on the night that you want to have your Sabbath. And you got to be okay with that. And you got to be able to pivot and breathe and know next weekend you can enter back into it. And that's okay. It's so knowing that life's going to happen. Things are going to come up. And it's a part of life. It, it takes, uh, be flexible in knowing that you're not going to just figure it out overnight. It's going to take months and months and months to figure out what your rhythm is, which is different than my family's. Be okay with whatever step you take. It, it, be okay with that. Recognize that uh, if you're married, you might be married to someone who has a different desire for you when it comes to rest. For some of you, rest looks like being around the people that you love. Some of you are like, I want to go to a dark closet. And so you've got to have conversations and be okay with the fact that you might be different. Be flexible in that regard. I'll say this, that your ideals will always leave you wanting. So be intentional to set things up, yes, but leave your ideals at the door and just be flexible with the moment that you have. Flexible with the fact that your kids might have an attitude that's going to jack with your Sabbath for a little bit and be flexible because they're kids, okay? And deep down, you're a kid too. So just be flexible. The, the second pastoral thought on the other side is you've got to be intentional. We say this all the time. You're not going to stumble into godliness. You're not going to stumble into the person that Jesus is inviting you to be. You're just not. It takes intentionality. And so as we, went, as we did the... Um, the survey um, a couple weeks ago for Sabbath, the common thread of a hurdle was disorganization. 
And so you have to be intentional as you move forward. Alex and I work together to finish laundry, or at least to hide it until we're done, or to clean things up. We'll go to the store ahead of time. We have to actually be proactive on what we're going to do that night and the following morning. We have to actually think through what that looks like for us. We have to say no to things at times. We have to be intentional. There's a Jewish tradition, as I close, that speaks to this. They, they, they call the Sabbath the queen. I love this. So I, I read this in a book. He wasn't Jewish. I'm like, I don't believe you. So I was meeting with a, a rabbi friend of mine um, at Ed's Hayam next to uh, the Lutheran church where we used to meet. We've become friends. And I was like, man, is this thing true that the Sabbath is like a queen? He's like, yeah. And I was like, tell me about it. And so he said this, that the, the goal is to prepare for her arrival and enjoy her while she's there. The things we do to prepare might vary. You might prepare your home or you prepare your fridge. But preparation requires planning, and so you have to divide tasks to prepare. But as you welcome her, you're experiencing what I would say the gift of what Jesus invites us into. So it takes time to create this, but it's this picture of, of the queen showing up. This queen called Sabbath, and we make room for her in space, and we allow Jesus to meet us, and we allow the life of Jesus to flow. Friends, we seek to be flexible as we grow to befriend Sabbath, and we seek to be intentional. So I would encourage you to, as we, as we delve more into this theme of Sabbath during this Lenten season, to begin to pray about what's your family's next step. I don't care what it is. I'm not looking for a right answer. I'm looking for you to be obedient and taking a step. And maybe a better question to ask would be, what would be your dream in a year from now? You got 94, you know, commitments. You're like, Ernie, I wish you would have told me before I committed everything that we're doing a series on Sabbath. Well, sorry. Um, so maybe in a year from now, your dream. What would your dream of Sabbath look like? And then work backwards. So if that's where I want to go, what's something I could do next week? That might be a baby step. And begin to move ourselves in this posture of rest for the soul. We are invited into this holy day. It's not a secular Sabbath. It's a holy day to the Lord where we find renewal in Jesus. We're invited into it, friends, because Jesus cares for you. He cares for you enough to give you practices to lead you to a place of rest for your soul. He's kind in that way. Amen? Let's pray.